Today's program was brought to you by Blueprint, the original juice cleanse program to offer different levels of intensity depending on your needs and current diet. For more information, visit Blueprint.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. Hey, welcome to After the Jump. I'm your host, Grace Bonney. We're coming to you live from Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn. You can listen to the show live every Thursday at 11 or download the podcast on iTunes. Today, I'm talking with my friend and fellow radio host, Lynn Casper, founder of the weekly podcast, Homo Ground. And in addition to her excellent show every week where she's highlighting really talented queer musicians and artists, Lynn also promotes all sorts of really fantastic events and has put together some great art projects like her feminist trading cards, which I was a big fan of um, on Kickstarter. Uh, earlier this year. Uh, Today, we're going to talk about something a little bit different. Um, The two of us were having a conversation the other week about the importance of being paid what you're worth if you are somebody who does creative projects and also how difficult it can be to fund something like that. So today, we're going to start a conversation, which I'm hoping to keep continuing online, about the importance of you know, creative people being paid what they're worth and how difficult it can be to really fund something in a way that stays true to your ethics if you're somebody who really likes to keep things independent. So, Lynn, welcome. Hi, thank you for having me. (laughs) Thank you for being here. Um, Before we get started, tell people a little bit about Homo Ground and sort of how you got started. Okay, so Homo Ground started um, two and a half years ago. I was living in North Carolina and was always involved with music and you know, making playlists and mixtapes for my friends and DJing around town. So it just kind of felt naturally to kind of combine uh, what I was doing with music. And also I was doing a lot of queer activism at the time, too. And just bringing those two together and sharing what a lot of my friends were creating. And a lot of them were musicians. So I put together this podcast and, you know, just put it on the Internet to see what would happen. And eventually it took off and bands from all over the world were sending me their music, asking how they could be on the show. So that was kind of cool. And I just kept <laughs> going with it. Um, so, yeah, two, two and a half years later, I'm still doing that. And now I'm up here living in Brooklyn, New York. And yeah, it's awesome um, just to be surrounded by so many musicians all the time. And it's it's inspiring. So how did you sort of get things off the ground? I always like you seem like a doer to me, which I like. I feel like I like when people kind of like have an idea and they don't just let it sit there and be this cool idea they talk about with friends. They kind of like actually make it a thing. Um, and you've done that so well. Talk a little bit about how you actually made that happen like was there funding that had to be raised or have you kind of doing this like bootstrap method well I think um you know just growing up in a town where there I didn't have access to many things that I wanted to see like you know I would look at big cities I'm like man that would be so cool to live there and like be a part of that why can't that happen here and I used to get really frustrated about that um growing up as a teenager um so but at one point you know I started getting involved with activism and kind of like the whole DIY scene where it kind of empowered me to like, okay, well, I don't see these things happening in my town, so why don't mm-hmm. I just go ahead and do it? So I just started doing things, I guess. Um, so yeah, Homo Ground started. I was working a full-time job at the time, so I was able to you know, financially support it and do it on my own. Um, but now, you know, I'm trying to make it sustainable on its own. So and I'm experiencing that that's a hard thing to do. (laughs) Yeah. What are your primary costs for a project like that? I mean, other than I mean, assuming internet radio is fairly free to do, but not but not your time, obviously. Yeah. Uh, What are like the biggest expenses associated with 
Um, I guess my time really is the biggest thing. You know, uh, we I pay for uh, website hosting, podcast hosting, and then like promotional materials, yeah. like stickers and all that stuff, so people know about it. Um, but yeah, I guess just my time is what really takes up most of it. Going through the inbox, my email, and responding to everyone. So yeah, just you know compensating myself for the time that I spend doing it is the major thing which I haven't really gotten a <laughs> chance to do yet it's so hard it's I mean that's one of the reasons I wanted to sort of talk to you and a lot of people like you over the next couple of weeks because there are so many people I think who have like incredible ideas who are able to like somehow get it off the ground get it going and then everyone gets hooked on it thinks it's amazing and then they just get used to it being free and mm-hmm. there's this like weird contrast between people who understand respect and sort of support in air quotes independent projects that are creative and then when it comes to paying for them there's like this halt like put the brakes on I don't pay for stuff like this sort of thing just kind of pops up for free on the internet um have you encountered any of that sort of attitude from listeners or do you feel like your listeners if you were to kind of maybe put like a donate button or a thing like that out there do you think that they would support the project financially or do you think you have to think of other ways to fund things yeah well I think it's a personal thing for me too I don't want to ever have to charge people to listen to the podcast Mm -hmm. or to make it where they have to pay to access the content um there is a donate button sometimes people donate most of the time they don't i don't really hype it that much Mm -hmm. um so i do like try to think of creative ways that people can support homo ground and financially support it um and one of those things is we created a deck of playing cards like you mentioned earlier um when we ran a kickstarter for that and the kickstarter mostly just covered that project itself one of my main concerns was uh the project involved 14 different artists Mm -hmm. who i am definitely a big fan of a lot of their work and wanted to compensate them for that so the Kickstarter was mostly to, you know, create the cards themselves and to um, pay the artists for their work. So that was an important piece of oh, that Oh, you paid them? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's so good. I had no idea. Yeah. I feel like those projects tend to like never pay anybody, but because it's for a good cause. Yeah. And a lot, of, a lot of the artists too were like, oh, I wasn't even expecting to get paid. And I'm like, duh. <laughs> <laughs> but that's so good. That's not a prevailing mentality right now. I mean... I do think that's, I mean, I want to talk about this a little bit more in depth, but that's one example of when I think it sometimes is okay to work for free is like if somebody's doing this really incredible sort of creative project that's supporting a community that needs sort of visibility and awareness, it's good to kind of chip in if you can chip in for that sort of stuff. But I think it starts to become different when there's like a large company or a large brand behind the major project. Yeah. And also, you know, since the goal of Homoground is to get musician get uh queer music out there it's kind of hard to like charge for things because it's like okay well i want to provide this music to people who might never have heard of these bands before yeah so there's this balance that you know i do struggle with and the same with like you know finding advertising it's mm-hmm. like do i really want some giant corporate <laughs> brand on the site when i'm trying to do this whole like grassroots diy kind of thing mm-hmm it's hard. I mean, that's a really difficult balance to strike because you kind of need big company money at a certain point um, if you want to support yourself financially because to pay yourself a salary, like that's a lot of, it takes a lot, a lot of independent advertisers to kind of make that happen after taxes and expenses and things like that. But it can be difficult because especially with that particular community of listeners, I feel like they're paying attention to who sponsors are and they want to know like what those sponsors behaviors are politically. And Mm -hmm. it's not something that necessarily happens in every community. I don't feel like the majority of like the people who are reading design blogs necessarily pay attention to the political motivation of sponsors, unless it's like a really obvious brand that's been in the news a bunch for something. But 
I think you're, you've got a tougher battle. Yeah, and it seems like you do that pretty well with finding sponsors that kind of align with what you're yeah, doing. <laughs> you try. I mean, it's tough. It's at the end of the day, you kind of need to find a balance between like reality and the ideal version of what you'd like to do. And I think that's sort of the reality of any independent producer of content, whether it's music or a publication, it's written, something like that. Is you've got to find a way to like pay the people that make the thing happen. And that's where I think the disconnect is. And I feel like constantly trying to find a way to take people like us who understand how difficult it is to produce content and connect that sort of difficulty to the people listening so that in a way that they understand and don't feel burdened by like the stuff we have to deal with because there's this weird development that I think has happened on the internet and whether or not you're a podcaster or you're a blogger or you're whatever a maker of something I think there's all this onus now to be creative about the way you make money. And then you were saying you'd like make this playing card set and that's a great project and that's cool to do, but you have to do that in addition to producing the content that you would have already been paid for. if This was like owned by a different company or something, but now you essentially have two full-time jobs, Mm -hmm. which is (laughs) produce the content, which is your main goal. And then also like sit around brainstorm and produce these side projects that produce income for things yeah and then also yeah like creating multiple uh revenue streams i guess you know i've been following like a lot of blogs online where they just set up all these different streams to make money and it's just like wow that's a lot of work it is it's a it's a ton of work and i don't think readers necessarily know about that i i always struggle whether or not they actually care about it and i don't mean that in a mean way Mm -hmm. i just kind of think if you're somebody who reads content and you've never produced it it's just not a concern of yours. And because there are for the most part, like 20 different options of what you're going to be reading, you'll just find the one that works for you. And if one of them disappears for the most part, you'll kind of be like, yeah, all right, I'll just read one of the other 10 blogs that exist about this topic. But I feel like that's a little bit different for people who are producing stuff kind of within the queer niche, because there aren't like 50 versions of everything in that. And I feel like if one of those things went down, people would be a little bit more upset than if like one of the 250 design blogs kind of just, went away for a while yeah definitely like there's this venue um that just recently closed in my hometown and it was just sad because it was open for 10 years and like like I said I grew up in a town where there really wasn't that much culture going on but over the years it's definitely brought in tons of great acts and Mm -hmm. so it's just really sad to see that disappear like that and but you know everyone's like sad but like you know another venue's gonna come in and just kind of replace that so it is like, how do you value something that's so important to you and, you know, make it so it, it lasts for a while? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think there is something to be said also about I love the idea of short term projects and sort of supporting things that have this like limited lifespan. I think Kickstarter is so good for mm-hmm. stuff like that. But I think when there's someone like you and I think I lump myself into this category, too, of people who just like to produce like creative content and it kind of takes on different forms, whether it's like in-person events or online or something written you kind of have to fund yourself as a producer of things and that can become more difficult in the long term. And that's where I think it becomes helpful to have some sort of like larger sponsor involved, but that's always tricky. But the, having the bigger sponsor, I think is really good because it kind of brings in a little bit more money that lets you in your off time continue to be paid for the brainstorming. That's just a hundred percent necessary to keep things going. Yeah. So when did you reach that point when your blogging became cross that border of just being a hobby to like actually you know no this is my job it's not just a hobby (laughs) honestly it wasn't until all the magazines died 
which okay. was it was like I was forced into it. I'd never, ever, ever wanted to blog full time. I was terrified of it because <laughs> I thought like, why on earth would I ever want to put myself in a position where like I didn't have a steady, reliable income? And I was like, I want to have at least two or three freelance jobs at all times. Like I want to be wor- working for three different magazines and then they all just closed like oh, wow. dominoes. They just went down like one after the other, literally like within a year, they all closed. And so it seemed so surreal that the most stable place to be was the Internet. I think that was like 2009, maybe 2008 for me. Um, and I kind of had no choice but to figure out how to make it slightly more profitable. But that was also right before like the economy tanked. And so I had one good year of like, ooh, I'm going to monetize everything in the way I feel comfortable with. And it all worked out really well. And then everything just like the bottom fell out and it became how do you sort of work with independent advertisers and you don't want to take advantage of them because you feel bad that they don't have money to be advertising. Cause that's mm-hmm. the first place everybody cuts when budgets get cut, but you also need to support yourself. So it's been tricky, but I feel like it's gotten a lot trickier in the last like six to eight months because people don't advertise in a traditional way anymore. And they yeah. want you to just produce content based on what a sponsor wants you to do, which is tricky. And I think it's particularly tricky and interesting within like, sort of queer media because there are all these brands that I think want to be associated with that particular market and like don't quite know the way to do it. Yeah. And it just becomes a like, let's just slap this rainbow thing on (laughs) stuff and and claim it. And I don't know. I think that's, that's a slightly trickier one. And for me, design stuff is just kind of like, do I like the store? Do I feel like they do good work? Do they copy people as, as infrequently (laughs) as, as I would hope they do? Because that's become increasingly difficult to find brands that don't kind of, rip off small designers in a way but i don't know it's a slightly less political format than i think you're dealing with yeah definitely um but i want to talk about backing up a little bit free work that's kind of what (laughs) got me started on this because both of us kind of started working for free and i think that's totally normal and fine what do you think about just like working for free in the beginning of a project oh i worked for free a lot of times (laughs) and I don't know like a part of me is just like if I can if someone comes to me and they have this project that's awesome and but they don't have that much money to pay I'm like you know I'll help out however I can yeah but then it just you know snowballs into like always doing it for Mm -hmm. free so it's kind of been hard for me to draw the line on when I charge for things Mm -hmm. or when I you know volunteer my time um so that's something that you know I, I still struggle with right now um but yeah, it's, do you have any tips for that? <laughs> well, it's funny, before we were recording, I was telling you about, I had this email from a, a very large magazine that was trying to find a blogger that was willing to like produce this in magazine content for them every month, which is awesome. And there are lots of magazines that still have really great exposure and bring you a different audience than you would find online. But I think after a decade of blogging, I would feel comfortable saying that I won't work for free. And I had this woman kind of go back and forth with me about, you know, all this great exposure this magazine would bring you. And she kept emphasizing that there was a huge national brand that was sponsoring whatever this page of content was going to be. So I felt comfortable saying, like, could you give me X, Y, Z details? Also, what's the pay structure for this sort of project? And she was so offended that I asked <laughs> what the pay structure was and, like, was really indignant about how much exposure this would give me. And I, cert- I think at a certain point, readers and people who produce content like that need to realize that exposure isn't actually payment. Mm -hmm. And for the most part, if you're young and you're hardworking, you can kind of build your own exposure. I do think that like television is a different level of of exposure that every now and then I think is worth it because it's just numbers that are so different than print media can provide. But I just essentially told her like, thank you for your time, but I I can't work for free anymore. And I'm not, I'm not like a total newbie. So I, I can't do this. And 
she got really, really upset and sent me this really nasty response. And I I just ignored it and was like, (laughs) all right, well, I'm not your blogger, so it's fine. But I'm always surprised that that continues to happen. And I think the reason it's happening is because people are continuing to work for free. Mm -hmm. And I don't know how to stop that. And I feel like there needs to be some sort of solidarity between producers of content across platforms, like not just design bloggers, but people who work in music, people who work in food, people who work in like writing and politics. Like there needs to be some sort of formal like guild of producers of content or people who agree that at a certain point, unless it's like completely altruistic or sort of super indie or for a great cause, like we're going to refuse to, to work for free at a certain point because it just, it ends up hurting everybody, I think. Yeah. But it's tough. Um, we're going to take a quick break. I just realized it's 11.15. So we're going to take a very <laughs> quick break and come back. I want to talk about this super awesome website called shouldiworkforfree.com. the original juice cleanse program to offer different levels of intensity depending on your needs and current diet. Designed to purify and detoxify, Blueprint Cleanse is made from the freshest 100% raw and USDA certified organic ingredients, cold pressed to retain nutrients and flavor. Blueprint also offers a line of organic juices, cold pressed and raw, in a variety of fruit and vegetable combinations and available in individual bottles. Blueprint Cleanse is available at Whole Foods Market and many other retailers across the U.S. To learn more about their line of organic cleanses, juices, and other products, visit them today at Blueprint.com or call them at 866-774-6831. That's 866-774-6831. Work hard, play hard. Cleanse, repeat. Hey, welcome back to After the Jump. I'm your host, Grace Bonney. Today, I'm here with Lynn Casper of homoground.com. And uh, we're talking about the importance of being paid what you're worth if you are an independent content producer. And then we're also going to talk about ways to actually make that happen beyond just having a discussion. Uh, Before the break, we were talking about how difficult it can be to sort of be paid what you think you're worth, especially in a sea of people who are willing to work for free. And I wanted to share, uh, I'm not sure how familiar people are with Jessica Hish, but she's an incredible type designer and hand letterer. And she has this website called shouldiworkforfree.com, which is sort of like a flow chart of questions you can ask yourself, starting with four main questions, which are, is it for a legitimate business? Is it for a charity? Is it for your mom? Or is it for your friend? And it gives you various choices you can follow, almost all of which are no. 
Um, <laughs> I think almost all of them end in no, which is a pretty great answer to give, I think, for free work these days. Um, yeah, I'm going to print that out and put that yeah. on my wall. <laughs> <laughs> I think, yeah, I think it's one of those things that as a reader of content, people get really frustrated, I think, with people like us for having like these kind of grouse discussions about like, oh, it's so frustrating to work for free and how difficult it can be. But I don't think people realize that like for you to truly stay creatively motivated, you have to support yourself. And there's something like romantic about the notion of like starting this project and doing it for free and spending all your off hours doing it. And that's fun for like six months. And then (laughs) at a certain point you want to be able to like feed yourself and take care of yourself. And you cannot continue to stay inspired and motivated if you're constantly struggling to like pay your rent and feed yourself. And I think it's so undervalued in the way that content is moving online. I mean, I feel like I'm constantly railing on the way things are moving, but I really feel like people just don't know where original content comes from anymore Mm. and they don't really care. And it's just kind of like, whatever, there's a ton of this out there. I'm going to listen to 20 of them. And if it disappears, that's fine. But I think it's important to sort of figure out ways to ensure that the people making content are supporting each other. So one thing I wanted to talk about is solidarity between producers of content and I think I I really want this like guild idea to happen I really want there to be somebody who like forms this thing or people agree like we're going to work together we're going to suggest each other for projects and this happens I think within smaller groups I've interviewed a bunch of illustrators on the show before who always say that they're passing each other's names back and Mm -hmm. forth for work constantly and I don't ever see that happening in the blogging community I feel like it's almost like screw that I'm going to try to take all these jobs because I don't want somebody else to have them and I feel like that competition can be a really, really, really bad thing. And instead of being like, hey, I'm busy or hey, this isn't like perfect for me. So I'm going to suggest this other person that might be great. That sort of solidarity would be so nice. And it would kind of ensure that everybody felt the semi-consistent workflow. Um, Because I think if you feel less strapped for work opportunities, you're less likely to sort of cave in and be like, all right, I'll do this for free or all right, I'll do this for like exposure and whatnot. Do you feel that... um like a, a gender breakdown on like people oh, that you're seeing God, yes. that is it's mostly women that are yeah. you know taking on the free things and it, absolutely it's I mean I could go on about that for days <laughs> but I used to host this biz ladies lunch series in my office and I remember there was a girl who'd been invited I think I already told you this story but there was this girl who got invited to speak at this like huge huge national conference and they asked her what her speaking rate was and she didn't have one so she didn't know what to say so she mm. emailed like 20 of her friends all of the girls wrote back and said, just do it for the experience. That's so great. Like, or maybe they'll pay for your pain, your plane ticket. And then all of the men were like $5,000, $10,000, like very, you know, like great and fine speaking fees. And she was so, so, so shocked to see the breakdown between that. And that really like has always stayed in my head. That was like two years ago. And it totally stuck with me because everyone I know feels like working for experience is worth it. And I, I think it is at a certain point. And I think if something's for a nonprofit or if it's for a good friend of yours, that's worth doing to a certain limit. But I think there is something about women being afraid to ask for what they think they're worth or mm-hmm. what they want. Yeah. Which people, I think, almost expect sometimes. And I think if women would be a little bit less afraid to just kind of be upfront about what they need, that would be great. But I don't know how you get that other than just the experience of constantly asking and not mm-hmm. feeling guilty about it. Yeah. I think it's important to have groups like the Biz Ladies and, yeah. you know, other kind of women empowering for entrepreneurs and, you know, um, to kind of, you know, band together and talk about these things. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's something that these groups don't really talk about that much. And, um, 
yeah, I think just the whole, you know, having more uh, mentorships available for women. Um, I've been like kind of uh, involved with like a mentor relationship right now. And, you know, I'm kind of learning a lot about all that stuff and like kind of how to, you know, dominate yourself. Yeah. Not like in an aggressive way or anything, but just like stand up for yourself Mm -hmm. and to get what you deserve um, to be paid for and stuff like that. How did you find your mentor? Um, Actually, there's this group called Start Out uh, up here. I think they have branches in New York or in Washington, D.C. and San Francisco. Um, But they are for LGBT entrepreneurs Mm -hmm. and they have like a little subdivision for lesbians. Um, And yeah, I started going to their events. They have like a Lesbians Who Tech event and and all these other things. Um, And I just got in touch with the woman who organized it and was like, hey, I'm like, you know, I would really appreciate like some kind of mentorship relationship with someone. And so she suggested someone that she knew. Mm -hmm. And yeah, we've been having meetings and stuff. And it's really helpful. I think it's so valuable. I really wish that there's there's a group called Makeshift Society that's in San Francisco that my friend Rena runs. And it's like, it's a kind of a, a guild of sorts basically, but it's just just in San Francisco right now. And I think they're trying to open like later this year in New York. Um, but it's, I've been so fascinated to watch the collaborations and sort of the way that they've collectively risen as a group of mm-hmm. creative people, because they're working together every day in sort of a clubhousey sort of atmosphere where it's like they're at a communal table. They're working together. They're not in cubicles or people who are in very different fields or people who are in food, people who are in music, people who are in like, you know, artists and stuff like that. And I think it's really beneficial to work with other women in particular who don't work in your field. I think it's kind of immediately eliminates the like competitive vibe, which I think can be like a hindrance for some people. Um, and it opens up the idea of like, we probably have shared resources or experiences that could be beneficial to each other. And I don't think people share those enough. And I think one of my favorite ways to kind of like, just literally like raise funds for projects is to collaborate with people outside yeah. of your niche, because people have all sorts of different contacts that you just don't have within your own niche or those contacts would be interested in like expanding into a different niche of people or Mm -hmm. a different demographic. And so if you can say, all right, well, I'm going to work with this person and she's going to bring in this particular audience and then they already have their existing audience, you're so much more likely to find a sponsor or somebody who's interested in sort of collaborating these two groups of people in one place than you are if you're kind of working within the same well of advertisers that have been supporting your niche forever and are kind of Mm. tired of it so i think collaboration is such a positive way to not only benefit yourself as a business but to actually kind of like loosen up the ad dollars a little bit yeah um i want to talk a little bit about uh how to get paid when you're owed something (laughs) which is something i feel like nobody's talking about on the internet and i went through like the entirety of my biz ladies articles before we met today to be like have we talked about this online and i don't think i've actually brought this up because this is kind of a next level issue of like okay you agreed somebody actually agreed to pay you something and then they just never do and I find that that's a huge problem with independent supporters is like I have never had a huge problem with corporations paying like they might pay you on a three-month schedule which sucks but you're gonna find somebody whose job it is to just like issue checks and that's awesome but it's tough when you're looking for somebody who's independent and then they're like, I'm so sorry. We had a really rough month. We've got to like delay the check or can we pay you in installments or things like that? And that's a, it's a difficult and a sticky conversation to have. Have you found yourself in that ever? Um, I don't think so. Um, not yet. (laughs) I feel like it's, it's popping up more and more with people I know who are bloggers and everybody's in that same sort of like, 
tiptoeing around how you do this. And I think there needs to be somebody who like makes a chart sort of like Jessica Hish's <laughs> website where it's like, here are like the 10 ways to respond to somebody not paying you in a timely manner or not paying you what they want. And I think it often turns into that awkward discussion of like, oh, I feel bad for this person. So I like accept less than what I'm worth or less than what I w- would agree to. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's just as dangerous as agreeing to work for free because it kind of says that like, yeah, you know, like your needs are more important than mine. And I think for the most part, that's where things start breaking down is when you start devaluing the work and the time that you put into something and saying somebody else's inability to plan ahead is like more important than me taking care of myself and the project I'm working on. Yeah. Um, and I think it also falls into that, like how nice is too nice discussion, yeah. <laughs> which is like my favorite discussion to have these days. Um, do you run into any of that in your niche? Um, yeah, I mean... <laughs> I think I'm just too nice all the time. <laughs> I'm just always <laughs> do things like, I don't know. Well, we work with a lot of organizations and, you know, musicians and groups and people who don't have money to spend. And so um, I just always try to promote however I can and, you know, work them in however I can um, and don't expect any sorts of payment or you know anything in return mm-hmm. so maybe i'm one of those people who's just like dragging everything back down <laughs> Way go, <laughs> sorry but um no i think it's it's different i mean you've been doing your blog for like what 10 years and we're still like a little baby so i think we still have a long way to go um but actually you're talking about ways to support things mm-hmm. um I, I feel like the biggest thing that I've encountered is like, I don't know, I've just been running into the, this catch 22 where it's like, okay, I need money to do this, mm-hmm. but there's so much things, so many things that need to be done. And in order to like get these things into place so that I can make money to start like paying for things, mm-hmm. I need people to help. Yes. So, and like, you know, I've put a call out for like interns and volunteers mm-hmm. and like friends have come and helped, but you know, it's just really hard to find stable help when you can't pay anyone to help. Yeah. So I'm just like, you know, finding people that help out and it's fine. It's like, this is awesome. And it lasts for like, I don't know, a few weeks, maybe a few months if I'm lucky. And then it just dies. And I'm like, well, great. Now I have to go through this whole cycle to find someone else or just do it all myself. And then I get stressed out and then have anxiety dreams. And then, (laughs) (laughs) so yeah, I think if, you know, just if you support a website or a podcast or anything like that, you know, see if they need any help. If they, if there's anything that you can do to help out, um, I think that's definitely appreciated. I know I would definitely love any type of help like that. <laughs> <laughs> calling, calling all free help for the Casper. <laughs> I think it brings up an interesting point. I kind of want to wrap things up on, which I'm hoping we can continue online in like written form. Um, is really the idea of like how important it is for people to actually reach out and talk to people and say like, Hey, I have this skill. How can I share this? Mm -hmm. Or maybe it's not. And there are lots of people who don't have like actual concrete business-based skills to share, but like actually want to fund something. And I emailed people before and said like, Hey, every month I donate like a hundred bucks to some charity. It's like something I always do. And I feel really strongly about. And like, I was always doing like animal based charities and things that I personally feel really strongly about. And then after a while I was like, I'm just going to go to Kickstarter now and I'm going to find like interesting projects to back. And now I'm trying to just talk to bloggers or people who I think like could just use a little bit of extra whatever, um, to help with small things. And I think people just don't think to ask for money. And so it's good to just reach out and say like, can I help? Um, but I think it'd be interesting if we could kind of get a group of people together to talk about, 
how to connect people with that actual business experience and business help with people like us who do not have yeah, those skills definitely. because that's <laughs> the gap. That's the gap mm-hmm. that needs to be closed is the people who are creative and are interested and love reading and listening to the types of things that people like us produce, but have skills that maybe don't always put them in contact with people mm-hmm. like us on a regular basis. And I think that's something we should work on is how do we get a whole bunch of people together, sort of like the biz ladies writers that I work with who are lawyers and contract specialists and people who can talk about marketing and who can share their advice in exchange for something else we can provide them. And I think that sort of bartering thing would be a good way to start. And I think eventually it would lead to those people being able to set up practices that focus on supporting people like us. And then if we can build ourselves up, we can pay for their services and kind of keep this chain going. So there's something there. We should have another show and talk about that. Yeah. I just realized I was being, I was a contradiction just now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Don't work for free, but come work for me. (laughs) But no, no, no. I mean, just like, you know, help to, you know, lots of startups do need that help. And then once they get going, then it's like, okay, like, I appreciate the work that you've done. Now I can actually pay you. That's the line. There's a startup (laughs) and a startup ends at a certain point Mm -hmm. and it ceases to be a startup and it becomes a functioning business. And I think as long as you're showing people that you're giving them like your good, your best effort to pay them in some way, even if it's small to start, I think that really builds trust and builds respect. And that's the sort of way you educate younger women like, you are worth what you're what you're doing is worth something. It's important and you should continue to grow. And as you grow, the payment should grow yeah. and the mm-hmm. people value should change as your skill set changes. And so we need to get something together like that. I'm down. All right. Let's we're going to brainstorm this over <laughs> pizza now. <laughs> awesome. Uh, thanks so much for everybody for listening. You can listen to Lynn's excellent podcast every week at homoground.com. Um, and thank you for listening. We'll see you next Thursday. Thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.